You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We're your guide to digital living. We're going to talk everything from smartphones to home networking to video gaming. And uh, also in today's show, tire tech, winter tire tech. I didn't know I needed to know more about winter tires. You need to. We, we have a great interview with uh, a tire king over at Michelin. And I didn't know there was so much to know about the technology that goes into winter tires. So uh, if you haven't got winter tires, you need to listen. Uh, Let's talk about some of the news, uh, John, some interesting stuff. Uh, This first one here you sent to me, I think it was last night, and I showed my wife and I said, I have to have this. It's a new video game console from Bud Light. What's crazy is that it's in the shape of a six-pack. Yes. It has two spots that will actually chill your beers. (laughs) And a projector. It's got a built-in projector. It'll chill your beers, and it's got seven built-in games and a controller. It's like Homer Simpson designed a console. Yes. How much? Unobtainium. Uh, You can can bid on these. Yeah. I mean, basically, they're not doing this for mass production. No. Uh, So I think the minimum bid right now is (laughs) $2,000. I think you would probably pay that, though. Oh, yeah. My wife's like, oh, hell no. No, don't even think about bidding on that well i don't have two thousand dollars to to spend on a bud light video game console but oh so cool don't you think it's it's a neat idea yeah for sure um like the press they got around it well yeah i mean it it's just one of those crazy things like no one would ever make this and someone did who would bud light came up with that i guess after (laughs) a bud light bender (laughs) hey george i got an idea (laughs) Oh. oh, but yeah, uh, listeners at home, Google it. It is all kinds of awesome. They've got a cool video for it as well. Uh, something a little more serious, uh, Amazon Ring doorbell was hacked, uh, I believe, down in Florida, and this was not not good. So Ring has come under fire uh, for not having the most secure video doorbells uh, out there. Uh, they have taken steps to lock them down with uh, things like two-factor authentication. So it's difficult for people to get into your account. But someone did down in Florida, a hacker out of Sweden, they haven't identified uh, the suspect yet, uh, they're still looking for him, was basically able to get into uh, this uh, woman's Ring doorbell camera and actually call the police department. Well, we should clarify, though, because uh, this particular hack, they got into their home Wi-Fi yeah. and then changed all the passwords for everything else. So, yeah, so they hacked into the But what they were the doing router. is they were waiting until the person was home. Yeah. Then they called the cops, and then they basically did what's called a swatting attack, where they, they call the cops, basically say that there's somebody been killed, and basically you need to get there now. And so they come and show up with like, you know, the giant SWAT tank and guns drawn and everything like that. And this woman's like, what the hell? <laughs> well, yeah, this poor woman, uh, they locked down her kid's school yeah. because uh, they thought there was, you know, a homicide had happened. Uh, luckily, the police phoned ahead to see if she was still alive. <laughs> and she was. <laughs> what was that conversation like? Yeah. <laughs> are you are you OK? But they still obviously went there and uh, the the hacker uh, was still on the Ring video doorbell because there's two-way communication, right? So he was actually taunting the police through the video doorbell. Right. So keep in mind, it's just audio. Um, He can see the video from the video doorbell, but they can't see him. Yeah. It's just, it's, I mean, it seems like a juvenile thing. 
Um, but swatting attacks have actually been very dangerous uh, in the U.S. There's been a couple of cases where the SWAT team shows up, guns drawn. The person who's being swatted has no idea what's going on. They make the wrong move. They get shot and people have actually died. Yeah, it, it's very tragic. Uh, you have a ring video doorbell, I as do, do I. Yeah. Are you worried about the security on it? No. No. Why? Well, partly because I think I have pretty good passwords on all my stuff. Yeah. So unless... The, and that's how most of these are getting hacked into. Anytime you hear a hack, nine times out of ten, it's because someone had a really insecure password. Yeah. And, or in this case, they got in through some other mechanism and they were able to go in and reset all the passwords and get those notification emails to you know click to reset. So yeah. so that's not really a hack in the traditional. No, it's sense. not like the KGB is hacked into. The, no, yeah. and they haven't like you know a, 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 like in the movies they've attached something to your ring doorbell and been able to hack it that way. No, not nothing like that. But it's just something to sort of keep in mind and definitely have unique passwords on all of these security products and have them really strong, authentic, like really good passwords not just your kid's name or your birthday or something silly like or that. or one two three four that's yours isn't it yeah pretty much uh no it's not <laughs> uh no i've had one for a while now it is it is really awesome i i don't think i could live without it now no me neither um it's it's funny uh funny story i i've used it to track what couriers are coming and going as well uh, part of the story we're doing later on is the michelin tire story yes and so they've actually sent tires for us to try out and test. Um, so I've been kind of getting them one at a time. <laughs> well, and what's interesting though, you told me the story is like, there wasn't even a notification. I swear the couriers try to like, how can we like deke out the ring doorbell? No, they do. Yeah. yeah Cause like, do they move really slowly? Yeah. <laughs> like I, you know, I, I got the first couple tires and I thought, Oh, okay. They're just sending us a, too and uh anyway the other which is weird which is weird and then like a couple mornings later i'm you know going out to get the mail and right on my front doorstep is a tire <laughs> <laughs> so luckily i have the video doorbell because i didn't get any notifications and i went in and saw it was like fedex they just and yeah it's just like a tire it's not in a box or <laughs> i don't know what i was expecting do you know what i mean but it's just a tire with a a way bill on it, you know, with my name and address, essentially. It's, it's so weird. But I guess that's how you get tires. Yeah, yeah. It, but it's just, but, you know, I could go back in, look at the footage and see it was FedEx. But I swear the other tires were delivered by different couriers. Again, that makes no sense. I don't know. But, I don't know. But yeah, no, I, I always find, because like, I, I, my, where my doorbell is set up, I have a couple columns. And so depending on the angle that you come in, you can't actually like drop a package and my camera won't detect you yeah but i swear that's like a game that they play to see if they can deke it out right yeah because my um postal delivery uh person she is like i don't know what kind of zen ninja ninja she is yeah she can actually you know my my two little dogs right yeah if you get anywhere near my front yard they're like i don't know how they can sense it they're on it like they're just barking away my postwoman, she can get to the door, doesn't set off the ring video doorbell, and doesn't set the dogs off. And, and we should clarify, these doorbells have motion sensors. Yeah. So you have to do some pretty stealthy ninja stuff to get past them. Yeah, my hat's off to her. Yeah. Uh, one other quick story here. Harley Davidson. 
they're getting into the whole electric game. We saw that with uh, that new series with Ewan McGregor and, and Charlie Borman. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. Long way up. If you haven't watched that, uh, I would just get Apple TV+. Plus just to watch that series. It's all kinds of awesome. Well, and they have the the other two series that they did around the world. Yeah, and it's been a while. Like the first one, The Long Way Around, they're basically two guys uh, on motorbikes. Yeah. And they've, you know, the first one, they toured around the world. The second one, they went from Scotland down to Africa. This one here is from the tip of South America up to LA. Yeah. And they did it on electric bikes, Harley Davidson's. Prototype. Yeah. Harley bikes. And you and I were just laughing the first couple episodes because they're just trying to figure it all out. Well, and it was around the same time that I got my electric vehicle as well. Yeah. So I'm figuring it out the same time. I feel like I'm, I was figuring it out along with them and, and feeling their pain of trying to find an outlet that would actually put out enough juice to charge their bikes. So Harley-Davidson, uh, they are coming out with a line of electric motorbikes, uh, but they're also coming out with uh, an e-bike brand as well. Bicycles. Yeah. Looks cool, but they pricey. Look, they're, they're, well, they're expensive, but... They're not out of the realm for this type of a bike. It's about 3,300 US for yeah. the entry level one, up to about 4,500, depending on the, the performance that you want. But what I th- thought was really kind of cool about these is they kind of look like, remember the old school, like 1900s era motorbikes? Yeah, yeah. Like they look very retro that way, yeah. but the motors and the batteries are all integrated into the the stems and the, the, and, frame. And the frame. They look really cool, like really cool. Like I kind of want one badly now <laughs> you better start saving up your money well i know but it's it's it, this is an interesting space because a lot of companies are getting into this space because of the pandemic and everything else and people want some flexibility they want to have a, an actual bike bike that works but also having that little speed boost so they can get up over the hill and stuff like that sounds like this one actually can get you like up some pretty steep hills without any uh problem at all i'm excited to check these out yeah so coming uh 2021 I believe. The spring, yeah. Yeah, so pretty cool. So we, we've got an awesome show today here on Get Connected. Uh, later on, uh, we'll be looking at the latest video game statistics that are out there. You'd be surprised at who is playing video games. Uh, we will also be talking tire tech, and it's actually fascinating. We have a great guest on uh, to uh, chat about that. And coming up next, we'll be talking about the latest update to your MacBook uh, whether that's a laptop or a computer, it's called Big Sur. It's the latest uh, version of their operating system. We're going to tell you about some of the features, but also some of the issues that are out there as well and uh, how to potentially avoid those. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected, Mike and John here. Don't forget to hit our contest page on the website, getconnectedmedia.com. We're always giving away awesome prizes uh, this month it's the google pixel 4 xl and this phone is amazing uh, just for the camera alone yeah and it's a native android experience so you get all the updates before anybody else does if you want to enter getconnectedmedia.com hit the newsletter tab all the instructions are there on how to make that all happen we still uh, also will be talking tire tech and uh, what uh, people are playing on video games and who's playing them. We've got a great uh, guest on to talk about uh, all of that. Let's talk about Big Sur. That is the newest operating system for Mac computers. Uh, it's just come out for everyone. John, you've been using the beta or the test version for a while now. Yes. And what, what are some of the key features that you think that would make people want to upgrade? Well, it, I mean, it. it's one of those tricky things. I think a lot in a lot of cases, the the 
majority of the under the hood stuff is more cleaning up bugs, fixing things. They did a quite a uh, extensive graphical design refresh. Yeah. Um, a lot more integration with uh, your smartphone or your tablet. And um, they all obviously set the stage for things like their new M1 chip based computers uh, to basically run uh, these native ARM processors as opposed to the current Intel processors and sort of having to be able to translate across both of those platforms uh, as well as being able to uh, launch and run your smartphone and uh, tablet apps on your laptop or desktop as well, which is really cool. So, but, you know, like any new operating system update, they had some uh, some problems. Uh, it went live last week. Apparently, Apple servers melted. <laughs> a lot of people wanted to down, download it. Yeah, because yeah. it's been a long time coming. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of, um, uh, like, user interface uh, improvements, uh, a lot of uh, performance improvements. Yeah, especially for Safari, the web browser. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've, they've really... Uh, uh, made that faster there the apple's claiming it's the fastest browser out there period uh, and i have to say when i started on the big Sur beta in the summertime um, before then i was a chrome guy yeah all the time but i wanted to sort of see if apple's uh uh safari if their if their claims about safari were true i actually switched everything completely over to safari and i've been using safari which again is their default browser the apple browser that's right yeah, yeah. and you know, there's some things that I miss from from Chrome, but there's a lot of nice things that I that I get with with Safari over that, and it's only gotten faster over the summer as they've been integrating these updates to it that are ultimately what people can download today. So yeah, I mean, definitely if you if you have uh, uh, haven't used Safari for a while, and I I, I left it because it, I found that it was just too limited compared to Chrome, because Chrome has a lot of extensions that people can use to do things to, you know better uh, manage their their memory for example that was a problem i had i have hundreds of tabs open i don't need them all running and so there's nice extensions that would actually like uh, put those unused tabs to sleep until i need them yeah things like that whereas i, I find safari is just much better at managing all that and just little things that are sort of built in that that aren't built into chrome like for example auto playing any video i can have that as a setting so it won't start auto playing even youtube Really? Because I, I go to a lot of the news sites like yeah. CNN and and what have you. And when you load that, that the web page or go to a different one, it just auto start, starts playing video and yeah. it drives me crazy. Yeah. So you can turn that off. Yeah. Oh, that is, that's worth it right there for me. No, and it, and it, it literally is for me as well. Um, but also like I have a, um, a MacBook Pro that has the, 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 the touch bar. Yeah. So you can actually see little mini previews of each tab that you have open on that. Ah. So it's really easy to flip around back and forth. But one of the, the big things that they, they were touting was the performance and how fast it is. And it is fast. What about on older ones, older computers? Well, um, I have a, I have a 2016 MacBook Pro. Okay, so that's four years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, honestly, it's dreamy on that. Really? Yeah, I mean, that particular laptop what when i bought it was like four thousand dollars like it's fully it better be dreamy <laughs> fully maxed out yeah uh, everything but honestly i can't tell the difference between that and my 2019 macbook that i use for work so um but apparently there's been some problems when a lot of people have older macs 
and that's really the kind of the great thing about them is they have a longer shelf life than the average PC. Yeah. Um, so if you have a twenty late twenty thirteen or mid twenty fourteen MacBook Pro, a thirteen inch model, apparently a lot of people have been having problems with that and Big Sur. It's been bricking those machines. Okay, so people, if they've got that particular MacBook, they should just kind of hang Hold out off. for a bit. Yeah, until yeah. they because it sounds like the the solution right now that engineers have found is not pretty. You basically is not to, to load it. <laughs> well, no, the the, the the how do the how they fix or unbrick these things? They literally have to take the computer apart. Oh no! Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, like it's it's a very like weird problem. So okay, so name name the MacBooks now that so the late twenty thirteen or mid twenty fourteen yeah. thirteen inch MacBook Pro models. And you can find that if you hit the little Apple icon and go to it, it'll say that right in the right in the about this Mac section. It's like it'll say late twenty thirteen or you know. Uh, early 2016 whatever your model is if you have a 2013 or 2014 macbook pro 13 inch hold off of macbook or uh, big sur for now we still have a lot to talk about here on get connected including winter tire technology stay tuned we'll be back after this you are back with get connected mike agarbo here with john beeler well a big part of uh, the canadian economic land landscape actually happens to be the gaming industry uh i just got a playstation 5 in recently Pretty, yes, you did. Pretty excited uh, about it. Uh, and again, you'd be surprised at some of the stats that are out there. The average age of uh, gamers, you know this already, so I'm not going to ask you. It's 39 years old, which, you know, a lot of people think it's just kids, right? Teenagers? No. No, but uh, everyone's gaming. Yes, especially right now. Well, we've got a great guest on the line. His name is Jason Hilchey. He's with the Entertainment Software Association of Canada. They've just done a, a really interesting study of gamers and the gaming industry in general. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, Jason, just a, a few uh, stats I just want to get into. How much does the gaming industry pump into Canada, dollar-wise? So, so we're looking at a couple of different paradigms when, when this question is asked. So from the pr- production side of things, and, and, and Canada is a really interesting country when it comes to the production and development of video games. Our production industry is actually bigger than our consumer uh, sales. And so we uh, have about 28,000 full-time employees in our industry uh, and about another 20,000 that are supported by our industry. Uh, an average salary in our industry around $75,000. And altogether, between all of these people, it contributes about $4.5 billion to the GDP of, uh, of this country. So it, it's quite large. Contrast that to the sales of video games in Canada at about $3, $3.5 billion. We have a bigger GDP impact from development of games than we do from the sale of games, which is a bit upside down with most countries. There's a lot of studios here in, in Canada. And again, when I talk studios, these are the uh, the little development companies, not so little, some of them, uh, that actually make the games. We do. We have about 700 studios in Canada, most of them medium, small businesses uh, of one to five to 10 individuals making, making games. But we also have some of the world's largest studios. Electronic Arts in Burnaby, British Columbia is the world's largest purpose-built video game studio, huge sprawling campus. And in Montreal, Ubisoft's uh, studio is actually the world's largest studio per uh, number of people working there. So we have two of the largest studios, both from an infrastructure standpoint and from an employee standpoint, both exist in Canada. So that's really interesting. So what was this study all about, Jason? 
So this study this year was not so much about the economic impact of the production of our industry, but it was all about who's playing games. What do those people look like? Who are they? Why are they playing? But what's more important is this year we took advantage of, you know, I actually, I hate to say we took advantage. What we did was we, we piggybacked onto the lockdowns in May and we took the opportunity to ask questions about how video games were impacting people as they were isolating at home during the first uh, phase of lockdown. So that was something we've never done before. And it gave us some really interesting insights about that. And what did you find? Well, what we found was that on a broad scale, video games are making people feel a lot better. Video games are helping people connect with their friends, helping them spend time with their kids. I'm the father of a, a five and an eight year old and my kids, we were all at home during the, the, the spring and, uh, and, and late winter. And, and my kids missed their friends. They were connecting with their friends on Minecraft and Roblox. And so for me to kind of get to where my kids were, you know, I went to them with, you know, with the video games and spent more time gaming with them. And so what we're finding is that parents are spending a lot of time gaming with their kids, connecting with their kids. And, you know, the positive impact of games we've all known about, but to get this information out there is really important, especially, you know, as we head into what could be a, a long, long winter ahead of us. It's interesting. I think sometimes there's a negative connotation when you think about gamers. They're just kind of these loners that sit in the dark in their bedroom or down in the basement. But like you were saying, it's a very social activity. Yeah. And the stereotype that exists, you know, I, I've been in this job eight years. And so for me, I've had to deal with this in a variety of different situations. But as you said at the top of the show, average age of a gamer, you know, 30, it's 38 uh, in this study. Uh, of adults, uh, 34 across the board with respect to, you know, kids and, uh, and adults. So what we're seeing is, you know, video games are being played across all demographic spectrums. We, we have corporate executives, we have service employees, we have kids, we have retirees, and we're going to be launching some profile videos tomorrow when we launch this uh, video. And it's going to really profile numerous different people across the uh, demographic spectrum in Canada and about how games are, are shaping their lives and positively impacting them. So, you know, stay tuned for that because that's really going to shed some light on some of the data points that you've got in front of you. So the question I ask, um, why, why do you guys exist? Like, wh why does the video game industry need help? It looks like they're pretty successful as is. Well, most industries have a trade association that works on behalf of them. And so we represent uh, a broad swath of some of the largest video game producers, distributors, and publishers in Canada. We exist for really two things. You know, the first is we protect the industry. So we make sure that uh, things like yesterday's announcement of new privacy legislation, you know, uh, other types of things like immigration and copyright reform, uh, broadcasting act. Uh, reform those types of things that take the video game industry and our positions into account. The second thing is that we promote it. So what I'm doing right now and what this research is designed to do, which is to give information about the video game industry to politicians, to government decision makers, to the media and the general public about what the video game industry is doing, how the video game industry is is growing and impacting not only the economy of Canada but the overall everyday lives of people in Canada. And that's what this particular study is about, that latter point. 
how video games are, are, are interacting with the everyday lives of Canadians. Any other interesting things you found in the study? Well, what we found was that, uh, <laughs> I, I, and I've been talking about this, game sales are booming. Game sales have been up since the beginning of the pandemic. We all expected to see uh, an increase in the number of new gamers that came into the ecosystem. We've got 23 million gamers in Canada. And, and to be clear, how we define that is you've played a game in the last four weeks. It doesn't matter what platform that's on. That could be on a, an Xbox, it could be on a PlayStation, but it could also be on a mobile phone. And so mobile phone gamers are gamers just like anyone else. But as, as you see, uh, that ecosystem includes a lot of, of different people playing on different platforms. But what we did end up finding was instead of this large increase in people entering the video game ecosystem, at least at the snapshot when this study was taken, what we're seeing is that existing gamers in that 23 million are actually buying new uh, equipment, new games, and gaming on different platforms. 60% of video gamers are gaming on more than one platform, which means they could be playing games on their phone, but they could also be playing on a console or a PC. And so what we're seeing is people that already game, they're playing more games, uh, and they're playing games that exist across different platforms, and they're playing them online, primarily to connect with their friends, to compete. And so it's really filling this void in a lot of people. Uh, and that, that was, I think, what was most interesting to me was that it's really the existing gamers that are driving uh, that demand at, this, at that point in time. We're talking with Jason uh, Hilchey. He is uh, a member of the Entertainment Software Association of Canada, all about a new study they have uh, done about gaming uh, in our country. Where can people find out more information about that study? So they can go to our website at BESA.ca, and from there they'll be taken to a, a microsite that will outline all of the information. Every data point uh, beyond even some of these that I'm talking to you about today can be found there, all about what people are playing on all the different demographics, what games, how often, just a plethora of information that would be very interesting. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate being here. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. Well, you know the saying, winter is coming. Well, in Canada, I think winter is here in many parts. And uh, as such, it's important uh, that we're prepared, especially when we're driving. Uh, a lot of places uh, in Canada, why uh, winter tires are a must. But what kind of technology goes into tires themselves? Well, to help us understand, uh, we've got a great guest from Michelin today. His name is Farrell Scott, or Farrell Scott. Thanks for joining us, Farrell. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So let's talk about winter tires and technology. I don't think people you know, always associate tires with technology, but uh, tell us how uh, that comes into play uh, with uh, your, your Michelin tires. Tires typically are, uh, in all categories, obviously have rubber, right? Natural rubber, synthetic rubber, uh, introduce oils, right? Um, and, of course, carbon black, right? Uh, some of the basic components. But really, the differentiation for winter uh, from some of the other categories is really the winter compound itself. As I mentioned, you have the oils and things like that, but you typically introduce silica, as well, because you want that product to be flexible in extreme cold temperatures. So silica is an, an added benefit or a key 
uh, product that allows you to have that flexibility in a winter product. Why do you need that flexibility? Because when it gets cold, again, you don't want your rubber compound becoming brittle and cracking because it's past uh, a polymer will experience uh, and transition and the glass transition temperature. So there's a glass transition temperature where polymers turn from being flexible to being brittle and potentially can crack. And as a result of that, because they're not flexible and in contact with the surface, you lose that level of traction in your contact patch, right? So that is the key aspect of a winter tire is to have a compound that has materials that allow it to lower the temperature that the tire can still be flexible, okay? And so that's the one aspect of it is the compound, but then you also have the design of the tread or the, 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 the sculpture of what you see. And typically for winter tires, you have a high level of what's called sipes, right? Those are cuts or slits in, the, in, your, in your tread blocks that allow those to become biting edges. So as those sipes come in contact with the road or the surface, they open up. So the block, in essence, opens and those become biting edges on surfaces like for snow and for ice, right? And so that's where you have that traction that you want. So you typically have more biting edges on the surface of the tire due to siping. And there's different types of siping you can introduce, depends on the level of functionality or the level of traction that you're obviously trying to gain with your product. So siping is key. And then you have what's uh, typically you want an open tire or void, a void ratio to allow you to be able to evacuate snow, slush, rain, and those types of elements that are winter to be able to evacuate that from the contact patch or whatever tire comes in contact with the road, you want to be able to evacuate those elements from the surface again so that you can have that maximum contact of the tire to the road. So having a more open tire uh, or more void ratio in the tire is key for winter tire as well. So those are like the some of the main elements that differentiate a winter tire from the all season and summer. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> um, I never knew there's so much about tires. <laughs> no, it, it makes a lot of sense the way you've explained it. It's great. Um, can you just ex sort of explain, because one of the big questions that we've talked about fairly recently, Mike and I, is we've got like the mud and snow tires. How is that different than a winter tire? Yeah, yeah, no, good question. So, so one thing about uh, the mud and snow tire is that's the M plus S. That's the designation that um, really has no winter performance measurements associated with it. It's literally the design of the sculpture or the tire. So in other words, uh, for mud and snow, it was really uh, an expectation that um, you, if you look at the older tires um, that basically had the circumferential grooves, right, that basically did not have the blocks or siping or anything like that. So M plus S was just a designation to say, hey, in your molds, you need to have this level of void ratio on the surface of the tire. That's what distinguished it for, uh, to make it mud plus snow. But then you also had to have a certain level of angles of your block. So instead of just your normal circ circumferential grooves that ran around the tire, you had to now start to angle the blocks. So it allows you to be able to not just stay on a straight, flat surface, but be able to navigate off-road. So mud plus snow was more a visual 
uh, indication that you didn't have just your traditional circumferential grooves running around the tire. You now had block angles that were changed angles to allow you to have that level of traction off-road. Have you noticed much change over the past 10 years or, or further, like on, on the winter tire technology? Like what, what major advancements have happened? Trying to find the balance of snow versus ice and really trying to improve performance in both is really something that winter tire technology has improved in for sure. Because, um, you know, historically they were called snow tires, right? Only focusing and looking at, uh, you think on the, around snow performance, because again, people felt like, oh, with ice, I can't necessarily, uh, have that same level of control or confidence in being able to drive on ice. Who knew there was so much in tire tech? We've uh, been talking with uh, Pharrell Scott. We'll call him the tire king now. Uh, this has been very, very enlightening. Uh, where can people find out more information? Obviously on Michelin.com, uh, we have uh, more tire information. Uh, that you can find out about our products. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. Don't forget to check out our sister show, The App Show. It is on typically Sundays on Chorus Stations. And in Toronto, it's on right after this show. So stick around. On uh, The App Show this week, uh, we'll be talking about Staffy. This is an app for on-demand workers. So if you're a restaurant and need someone to fill a shift and you don't have enough workers, you can use this app to, to find someone. Also, uh, we'll be talking about a, another new app uh, that helps businesses trace, do contact tracing. You know, when you go into a restaurant and you have to write your name yes. and phone number down, I always think everyone's going to know my phone number now because you know what I mean? Like everyone's just looking at that sheet. Yep. Well, there's an app called Canatrace that uh, solves that problem. And don't forget to hit our contest page at getconnectedmedia.com, giving away a Google Pixel 4 XL. All you have to do, again, visit the website, getconnectedmedia.com, hit the newsletter tab, and all the instructions are there. I want to thank John, my co-host, and also Christina, our producer. We'll see you again next time.